Yes, we've we've invited two tried and true observers of Australian culture to reflect to their heart's content as deep as they care to go on what's particularly struck them about shifts and predictabilities in our communities this past year and how it sets us up for 2023. 2022 has been a bit of a wild ride, an odd year really, in a range of ways as we climbed out of two especially odd years of a pandemic and tried to find a new normal. What are some of the tensions, along with some of the happy insights revealed in this year of our now 26 million strong nation? Well, two brilliant guides are joining me for a pre-Christmas yarn. George Megalogenes is one. He joins us each year at this time because his writings and essays, to my mind, offer me some surprises always about the state of us. Welcome, George. How are you, Geraldine? Good, good. And I'm delighted Cathy McGowan could be with us from her home in rural Victoria. She came to prominence as the independent member for Indi in 2013. She was re-elected and uh, then in 2019 she uh, supported another independent, Helen Haynes, to win the seat, which is the first time that had happened She's widely regarded as the generator of the movement that brought so many independent members to Parliament. Hello there, Cathy. Good morning. Good morning, George. Um, Now, George, you've written that you think realignment is the word, your word of the year, to describe what you think is underway. Uh, How deep does this go in your view? Certainly a realignment uh, because we're talking about the election uh, on the 21st of May uh, this year. It was the first time in our federal political history the government was decided in the capital cities. And that uh, opens a whole lot of of questions about who we are because politics in Australia hasn't often represented who we are. The parliament has always been a bit whiter, a bit more male than the nation at large. But when the cities where two-thirds of the population live uh, suddenly pull rank on the rest of the country, uh, it sort of made everybody stand up and pay attention because the forces that were unleashed at the ballot box, uh, not just the treatment of women, which was obviously the issue all through uh, 2021 and sort of came to a boil Uh, with the election of all those teal candidates. But there's about two or three things going on in the cities which sort of the rest of the country hasn't been paying attention to. And now they are sort of everyone's been forced to think about it because we've changed government on on these terms. You know, in the past, when you've had sort of shock election results, uh, people always tend to, to run to that other Australia, whether it's rural, regional Australia, whether it's the outer suburbs. This is an election that was decided in the cities themselves, in the inner city and in the middle ring suburbs. And as I say, forcing us to look with fresh eyes at who we are. But some of those trends that, that uh, were revealed at the ballot box have been hiding in plain sight, I think, for us for a number of years. And you don't think they're fads by the sound of you? You think it's quite deep and ongoing? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, uh, there's been a bit of a hobby horse of mine for about 20 years, but when you look at the centre of the economy and you look at the achievers and the most important workers in the economy, uh, they tend to be uh, professional women and the children of immigrants. And those two groups haven't been well represented in our political debate, certainly haven't been well represented in media. And the sense of who we are, which is sort of male with a blue collar, uh, with a bloke in charge, uh, those things I thought were uh, couldn't hold uh, for long, but they actually held probably for a bit longer than they should have. And that's why, uh, whilst the election itself has sort of shocked people, the underlying forces are not a surprise at all. And just I'll just tick off a, yeah, if I could just tick off a couple of things. So when you look at the teals, for example, uh, 
the largest uh, group of workers in the economy when, when you measure them by occupation are professional women. And they overtopped uh, tradesmen, uh, blue-collar men, uh, about five years ago. So it's not a surprise to me that eventually the ballot box would, would, would sort of rattle with, uh, it's not, hey, look at us, it's, we're sick of being, we're sick of being ignored. Now it's time to pull rank on you. The other thing is, you know, the coalition lost a lot of the Liberal Party and the Liberal National Party in Brisbane, uh, not in the regions, lost a lot of seats uh, to places where there's a, a high concentration of uh, migrants, and that's the second part of the that's the second part of the equation. And eventually, eventually, when you look at a country run by women and the children of immigrants, uh, that's not the Australia we grew up with. The Australia we grew up with have these, you know, these sort of, you know, permanent pillars of our identity, white, male, uh, with power sourced in the regions. Yes. Uh, Cathy McGowan, how do you see it sitting in the regions as you do? Oh, what what a just an absolute joy to be on your program. So thank you for the opportunity. So I'd like to value add to a couple of things George has said, um, but about the 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 change in the demographic, because certainly in the regions there's been a huge uh, influx of people from other countries. So we no longer the white um, British. Uh, maybe Irish stock that used to be the case, and I'll pick that up in a minute. But but there's another thing that George, you haven't commented on that I think at that this election that really we were at a crossroads. There was a general sense that the government we had was taking us in a particular direction, and people knew where we would end up. You only had to look at America and Britain to see where that type of government took us. And I think you know the people of Australia generally made a decision that they didn't want that. So we we were at a crossroads and the nation chose um, a different type of government and put integrity, I think, at the centre of that. So, But it wasn't just the cities, George. Like there was something amazing happening in Western Australia, like the Labor government got in on the votes in Western Australia. But the other thing that you haven't commented on that I saw was the large number of community independents in the country, in the regions, that took their very, very safe seats and made them marginal. For example, Groom. Groom is in Toowoomba, um, represents Toowoomba in Queensland. So um, Susie Holt up there made that seat marginal. Uh, again, down in Wannan, which is Warnable in um, southwest Victoria, a community independent took on the Minister, Dan Tian, made that seat marginal from a very safe base. And there are other seats as well. So it wasn't while the cities um, won it in terms of getting their members up, the the change that's happened in regional Australia, um, and particularly in the regional cities, is just enormous. And it's not only the immigration, it's the in, in the industry that's coming to the regions and it's that sense of community, um, I think, recognising their power and going, well, government's not the answer to us. And certainly a national Liberal Party government was not ever the answer for the regions. And I think now the communities are going, well, we actually want something better and we're going to use the political and the economic systems to put the regions at the centre and the heart of particularly the work around climate that we're going to see in the next year. It is interesting, though, how because I, I, 
you know, to, to work out what that will translate to, whether that will last, that'll become a sort of a really durable sense. And we've got to bring in, I think, pretty early the, the awful, awful events in Queensland this week in terms of um, emotions in some parts of Australia, maybe outside capital cities, you know, maybe. And I, there's a particularly good article by a man called Greg Hallam, who used to be head of the uh, Queensland Local Government Association in the New Daily um, this week. And I thought it was one of the most sort of perceptive. There were a couple of good articles about the almost distinct creation of underprivileged communities, uh, the blockies uh, across Queensland. It's not just a Western Downs problem with parts of South East East Queensland having their own challenges. This is a problem for the whole state. Um, Many blockies uh, want to opt out of mainstream society and its rules. A lot of them are anti-vaxxers. They subscribe to conspiracy theories and they identify with right-wing fringe politics to absolutely tragic effect. So I, I wonder what you think, George, you must have been pondering this, whether there are areas that are more easily identified um, who really do need extra, extra a lot of things, um, engagement being one of them, uh, that, that we, we just, you know, that this is out of the plain sight of cities. This is what Greg Hallam says. It's a long way from cities. I don't even see it. So these people who are driving the politics in the cities wouldn't even see this and then it sort of can bite them. How are you viewing it? Yeah, I'll just and, and follow up also from Cathy's point. Cathy, that's that's all very true. In fact, the interesting thing about the political cycle now is that everybody has, every voter in Australia has, over the course of the last two elections, federal elections, and certainly at the state level, been given uh, the tools to turn their community into a marginal electorate to demand attention from the system. But also the de- declaration of this being a marginal electorate is also a declaration of independence, not necessarily independent candidate, but a declaration of independence from that community. Now, when you so, sort sorry, of what, look what at, do you what do you mean, George, exactly by that? Well, most voters now uh, have over the over the, over the over the course of the last couple of elections, uh, and you can see it in the collapse in the in the primary vote of the two major parties. So, at the last federal election, we basically got to that situation where a third voted Labor, a third voted Coalition, and a third voted other. So, people are putting themselves in a position now where they can uh, be, you know, be. Your service, your service delivery isn't good. Your infrastructure, your infrastructure problem. I think we've got a problem there. We've, I think we've switched networks somehow or other. How did that happen? I don't know how that happened. Actually, can we hear George? Is George there? Yes. Go on, George. Sorry. Am I still here? Yes, you are. You are. Fantastic. So, I'll do it by by example of Victorian the Victorian election. Victorian election that we've just had. uh, The Labor Party return of a second landslide, but the granular detail of the uh, of the seat by seat swings is that in a lot of the communities that were safe Labor seats have swung quite dramatically against the government and they tend to be the communities where service delivery has been pretty poor, uh, you know, where the housing estates have been built ahead of the uh, provision of infrastructure. And in the regions, the regions have almost declared uh, a separation from Melbourne right. in, in, t- in terms of their voting behaviour. So when we go back, and I sort of don't want to I, I over-analyse particular group of people who who basically ambushed 
the, 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 those poor police officers in Queensland. I but don't I think we do have to. Think. I think we do have no, to. No, think. no, not the household. I want. I want to go away from the household if I could, because right. that, that. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. An extreme example. Sure. But in terms of in terms of that sense of isolation uh, that communities outside the cities have, I think this is almost the. I think this is almost the big challenge in mm. the, for, for 2023. Is now that you've now that you've seen one part of Australia pull rank, which is capital cities, you almost immediately have to ask yourself the question: Well, what does that mean about the rest of Australia? Mm. Because uh, whilst whilst uh, you know, as I say, two thirds of the Australian population live in the capitals. Um, that's where most of the income is generated. It's where most of the taxes are collected. Where uh, the regions we're talking about, which are under-resourced, that's where a lot of the benefits are, are, are delivered. Even even though, in terms of services, they're under-resourced. Now, holding that holding that particular country together is actually harder, paradoxically. Uh, when you source your political power in the city yeah. without negotiation with the region. So that's, that's the thing where I agree with Cathy. I sort of didn't mention it um, because it was, I figured we'd get around to it. But that's, that's the thing that concerns me now. Uh, what concerns me now, especially now that power has, has, has transferred, uh, that the people who felt they've been underrepresented for the last 20 years say, hooray, we're finally back in charge and forget about the rest of the yeah, country. Yeah, okay. But uh, I, I, don't think, I don't think you can... Um, just on the Queensland example, um, Geraldine, I think the, the, the mega picture of what you're talking about is huge about the dis, uh, disassociated people from the democracy, but they're definitely in the cities. Like during, during um, COVID, there was huge marches in Melbourne, Sydney and Brisbane. So the, it, it, it's, it's that example that we have we had last week was certainly happened in the country, but I don't think you can take away from the huge disaffection and particularly during Victorian lockdown that that brought to the surface. But I just want to, I think it's a much stronger thing happening in our country, which is again what I say about the crossroads. Like it was a real choice. Do we go down that um, much more, um, pay attention to the violence that underpins a lot of Australian society? Um, and it's not just in that sort of anti-vaxxer, that um, the terrorist stuff that we see that we've also seen in America, but it's also the huge amount of um, physical violence that happens, you know, the deaths, the imprison- imprisonment of our young children. Like there's a, there's a thread right through our culture, I think, of, of, of really ruthlessness. And, and I picked it up particularly during when I was a member of parliament with the asylum seekers and what Australian did to uh, the refugees, like how we turned that whole sense of us as a nation as open, um, as welcoming of people. And we said, no, we're not that anymore. And we've invested billions of dollars into it. Like I think it's the same thread that goes through the Australian society. Um, And it plays out when you have a government like we had that doesn't actually listen to people. And I think what that was what I mean when I say the crossroads and we didn't have integrity. The community, some, so many of the communities said that we're a nation of integrity and we're a nation that, you know, a Christian nation that cares and we want our government to be that. And you haven't been that, and we're caught. And here's the consequence of you not being like that. Yes, but I mean, it's it's tricky, isn't it? Because I, I noticed that there's a very um, there's a series in the UK called The Coming Storm. Gabriel Gatehouse, I think it's a BBC series, and it's been very well received because they're looking looking at uh, at issues uh, of that in the UK as well. That it's the fringe against the centre, not left versus right, which I suppose is really what what um, um, George is alluding to, and that question of how you do draw 
draw people in? Because at least in the cities, I would argue, Cathy, even if people do come out uh, on the streets, they're in touch with each other. It's this isolation which is so terrible and can lead to such completely pathological responses. So I think the, the nation, so that's that's right. And we've got a choice as a nation, how do we want to be? Do we want to actually begin to do the work and invest our resources in engaging people and in, from my perspective, community independence and community democracy and knowing that the, the nation belongs to you and you can influence it? Do we want to be that sort of nation and we put our energy into it or do we want to be another sort of nation? And I think the critical thing next year is going to be how we approach the voice to parliament because already we've seen, and I don't even want to name the party because I'm so disappointed by their approach, but they came out and said we're going to vote uh, we're going to vote against this and we're going to do everything we can to say no as opposed to some form of um, representation on behalf of the nation saying, oh, well, we've got lots of opinions about how this is going to be reconciled and let's work, let's work at a community level to actually have the discussion, have the conversations around the table so that we can actually work through this opportunity we've got to either divide the nation on a voice to parliament or grow together and come up through conversation and attention to all those individuals who are disaffected um, to engage and to listen and to invite them into a conversation so that we can we can build the nation we want. So I think next year is going to be so important as how our leaders in particular work with community to take that opportunity and not go down that that road that beckons of violence, of nastiness, of dictatorial stuff, of, of hatred, yes. it actually does something de- something C- else. Certainly going to be a big test. George Megalogenis and Cathy McGowan are my guests. Um, I wonder, George, what you think this will result in terms of, say, uh, what really does occupy the headlines and politicians' views, like housing policy, for instance. I noticed there was an interesting piece by Nick Dyrenfurth, who's the executive director of the John Curtin Research Centre, in other words, a Labor centre, talking about, um, he had this, you know, talking about the, the dilemmas do facing the centre-right. The centre-right has nothing to offer young voters in particular in terms of either home ownership or rental stress and insecure tenure. If young people have nothing to conserve such as owning a house, why would they vote Conservative? Um, Do you see, you know, this has been rumbling along for years, the housing debate. Given what you're saying and and the demographic trends, are we up for a change in the way we think about what really matters? I think uh, so. We uh, this is a question about the obviously the Great Australian Dream, which is now not obtainable uh, before your forties. I think for a lot of people, and I did see something on uh, social media the other week, and I'd, I'd love to remember the name of the handle. Uh, that phrase, you know, if you if you're a, if if you're not a socialist at twenty, you don't have a heart. Um, and if you're not conservative at 40, they've now flipped it to you don't have a house. <laughs> right. <laughs> so when we look at when we when we look at uh, I'll just take I'll just walk you back half a step. When we look at uh, one of the things that happened in the election, and in a seat like Keong, where Josh Frydenberg assumed he'd be re-elected and would now be opposition leader, uh, a big proportion of renters moved into that area. You've got a lot of high-income uh, people who would normally be liberal voters who can't get into the property market, and they're either voting Green or Teal or Labor. Now, that's a structural problem for the coalition because as as their older voters uh, 
leave this earth, and that inevitably happens between elections, uh, and, and younger voters come onto the electoral roll, in that exchange, where the Conservatives used to be able to sort of maintain a hold on power was as young people marry, uh, get a mm. mortgage, have kids, they would then switch, right? Um, that there's a, there's, a, there's a bit of a demographic gap that's opened there. Uh, it's actually a bit of a cliff, which the, we know that the Liberals have now fallen off because they lost all, all, you know, once safe seats all disappeared at once at that last election. But the, conse- but the consequences of what happened is that suddenly what is now front of mind is, is housing affordability, uh, also land use, which is going to be a bit, bit tricky in the cities where people don't want uh, overdevelopment, but mm. overdevelopment is is a way to to increase affordability and also increase access to housing for people who who want to buy or want to rent. So that that's not going to be the easiest debate for Australians to have. Yeah. Uh, that switch between the interests of the homeowner and the borrower, and the renter and the aspiring. Uh, uh, home buyer. Now, you know, traditionally we've been able to manage it on behalf of the two thirds uh, that either own their home outright or have a mortgage, partly because we've just been able to release extra extra housing uh, lots in the outer suburbs. When, as except we're just alluding back to what we we're talking about before about um, people not feeling represented in the outer suburbs, we've sort of reached not so much the limits to growth because you could still extend the, the boundaries in the city like Melbourne or in uh, or in Brisbane or or in around the southeast corner of the Gold Coast. It's not that you can continue to extend the boundary; it's just not practical anymore to keep doing it because a you blow your politics up and b the people who are there. Uh, 30, 40, 50, 60 k's away sometimes from where they were. Yeah. So these are these are these are tricky things because they, it's not just something you could ask a prime minister or a treasurer to fix because uh, it cuts across not just two tiers of government but all three. It goes from federal to state and to local. Look, I'm going to in the in the sort of minutes we have remaining, I want to look at what's worked well because <laughs> I said sort of surprises and predictabilities. Because <laughs> in many, you know, time and again, I see quotes from overseas sort of looking, at, uh, citing us as having managed a range of things well uh, in these last two or three remarkable years. So, Cathy McGowan, what have you revelled in? Can I ask you that one? Yeah. Look, I'm, my enormous pride and patriotism in being an Australian, the way that my community and the communities around us managed COVID. Oh, and I live on a border community with Aubrey Wodonga and we had the army come in and stop us travelling to my dentist, to the doctor, to whatever it was. So the, the heavy hand of the law um, was, was, was huge and the impact was enormous and the community just rose up, worked around it and came out I came out, I'm not going to quite say on top, but as I watched the community um, community do its thing, uh, I just have such pride at the very micro level and then at the, the, the local government level and certainly at the state level. So that's one thing. And then, then the next part of all of that is as I got engaged in the, both the state and the federal election, the sense of democracy in Australia, like I just am so proud of our system and how it works. And sure, at the edges, it's not perfect. But the, the ability that we have as a nation to change government from one, well, we don't like you, we're going to chuck you out, and we get a new government in. And there's a sense of quite joyousness that people, you know, most, as particularly during the state election, I was doing, I'm um, standing at the um, polls, and people wanted to talk about politics. So they'd come up and they'd say, you're, 
you know, elbow. And this is in Wodonga. He's um, <laughs> he's not doing too badly, is he? I mean, what do you think? Oh, yeah, it's really, it's you know. And then they talk like you was well, this morning, Geraldine, about the war in um, Europe. Mm. And all the problems of winter over there, and then people would work, and they say, you know, he's really trying, and I think, you no, know, I think he might do okay. And don't you like Tanya? Like these first he's, names, he's like, really don't, trying. Like, don't you like Tanya? Such and, an Australian. You know, it is, and it's this sense of this personal relationship people have with their politicians that they can engage in it, and there's a sense of like we are, we we own our system. And I know when we have we have this massacres that happen, and just the huge um, family violence and the murders that go on, and the stuff we don't like, the community goes, well, that's not us. Okay. So anyhow, yeah. I I go into the new year with just an enormous sense of pride, and 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 potential, of if we if we can hold the community at the centre of politics. We are in a good place. I've got to give George a, a brief reply to that response. Uh, just quickly, uh, we reflect obviously on this year because this year is the year we're pretending to live with COVID and the, um, the obviously, unfortunately, the death toll from COVID you know, is a multiple of the previous two years combined. But we've come out of it, we've come out of it, and I'm going to do an Anthony Albanese. I don't, I didn't look up the last unemployment number, but we've come out of it with virtually full employment. It's around three and a half percent at the moment. Uh, the world, the global economy is worrying about recession next year because the Americans are uh, trying to kill inflation and they're prepared to accept the risk of a uh, recession okay. in the US. I look at us going into whatever happens next year in a, not a bad, uh, not a bad, we're in a relatively good position as we were during the GFC, right. as we were at the start of the COVID. I think, I think our, um, our, our sort of resilience our resilience uh, levels are still high. And so whatever whatever the world throws at us next year, I think you'd be pretty confident okay. uh, that the story will be Australia's done better than the rest of the world. Yes, I think you might be right. Look, George and Cathy, thank you very much indeed. Have a lovely Christmas. Thank you. Getting in touch with ABCRN is easy. Join the conversation live using the ABC Listen app's call and text features.